Welcome to the Anchored Hope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is Better Decisions, Part 5, The Relationship Question, featuring Michael Davis. We are finishing up our series today called Better Decisions, Fewer Regrets. This is a book by Andy Stanley, and it is a phenomenal book. Um, If you haven't picked it up yet, I would love for you to pick it up. There's been a few details and stories and examples that I haven't been able to share for you, but we've basically been going through the book. In the book are five questions, because we all know this, right? Good questions lead to good decisions. It takes a good question to lead to a good decision. So that's what we've been learning. We've been learning five questions that can help us make better decisions and have fewer regrets. And so the questions that we've covered this far, first question was the integrity question. Am I being honest with myself? Really? Like, what am I really after here? What am I really upset about? What, what, am I being honest with myself? Why do I really want this? Why do I really want to say yes to this instead of no? What, am I being honest with myself really? And then the legacy question. The legacy question is, is, what story do you want to tell at the end of your life? When there's nothing more than a story to tell, what story do you want told? And we talked about looking at things not in terms of just options, but looking at the story. What story do we want to tell? And then the conscience question. The conscience question is, is there a tension that deserves your attention? Is there a tension that you feel? Or maybe there's a tension that somebody else feels, a tension that somebody else says, well, hold up, have you thought about this? Have you, have you, have you, have you, you know, investigated all of these things? Is there a tension there? If there's a tension there, it probably deserves your attention. Even, even if everything lines up, even though it seems like it's God-blessed and God-ordained and it's what the, the stars have aligned and it's what you're supposed to do, even then, is there a tension that deserves your attention? And then last week, we went over the maturity question. The maturity question is, what's the wise thing to do in light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams? What is the wise thing for me to do? And what I've told you is if you would just take these questions and if you would simply just ask, answer honestly, and act, oh, man. It would help you so much. It, it, would, it would help you have so many better decision-making skills. You would have so fewer regrets. I mean, if we had all learned this five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, we would have saved ourselves so much money, so much heartache, so much pain, so much stress, so much anxiety, because these questions make everything that is kind of gray clear. Everything that's kind of foggy, just you can see it, right? And so today we're going to get into the final question, and it's the relationship question. And the thing about the relationship question is the relationship question is probably the question that you will want to ask the very least. And the reason it's the question you'll want to ask the very least is because there is no ROI. Do you know what ROI is? It's return on investment. Right? If you ask any of the other questions that we've gone over so far, I guarantee you there's a return on your investment. There's a return for asking the question. I mean, if you ask yourself, what's the wise thing to do? There's benefit there for you. You ask yourself, you know, what, what story do I want to tell? There, there's, there's a benefit for you. There's a return on your investment. For all the questions that we've covered so far, there will always be a return. But for this question, there will probably be no return at all. 
Actually, you probably won't get anything back from it. Actually, this question is more about losing than winning. It's about giving things up. It's about letting things go. And so you're probably going to ask yourself this question. Why, why would I ask it? Why in the world would I ask a question that has no return on investment, has no value to me? And there's two answers, and it just kind of depends on what seat on the bus that you sit on. And the first one is, is if you're a Christian, right? And here's the thing is, if, if you're a Christian, it's required of us. Like this question, when we dig into it, what you're going to see is that there is no if, ands, or buts about this question. This question is required of us because this question really tells us whether we're in line with God's will or not. It's this question that really reveals to us what it even means to be Christian. It's really the, the foundation of the kingdom of God here on earth. And so if we don't ask ourselves our Christian this question, then we're just pretending to be Christian. So it, it, for, for Christians, it's, just, it's a must. But some of you, you, you may not have a relationship with Christ. You may not follow Jesus. You may be just be here out of curiosity. Somebody drug you here. Somebody's making you watch this or listen to this podcast. That's totally okay. And so for you, you're asking yourself, well, then why do I need to ask myself this question? And the answer for you is, well, it's because it's what's best for the world. It's just, it's, it's what's best. Because what you're going to see in this question is this question, it reveals a whole lot of answers that, quite honestly, we're all looking for. I mean, you and I, we're very aware of the world's problems. We're, we're very aware that there are problems, you know, with racism and sexism and hate and just being able to show kindness to one another. Like, we just look at the, the toxicity of this world and this culture, and we go, man, something is wrong here. Something needs to be fixed. There's so much brokenness. There's so many broken relationships. And the thing is, is that this question, this question can lead us to a healed relationship. This question, if, if put into practice, I mean, it can, it can heal relationships, it can heal brokenness, it can even, you know, kind of bring a relationship back around, it can spark intimacy and passion in a marriage, it can heal a relationship between parent and child. I mean, this, this question, if applied correctly, can do a whole lot of good, not just for the world, but for your personal relationships around you. So, that's why you need to ask it. Because for Christians, it's a must. And for the world, it's, it's just what's best. So this question, if you don't know, it actually comes from some, something that Jesus said. You know, when Jesus started his ministry at about the age of 30, there was a wind of change in Jerusalem. There was this, you know, prophecy of a Savior that everybody had waited for so long to see come about. And so Jesus says he is that Savior. He is this Messiah. He has come to fulfill this prophecy and save everybody. But everybody, when they heard about Jesus, they thought in terms of political Right? Like political power, political presence. They, they thought that Jesus was going to overthrow people and change the political game, you know? Kind of like how today when we hope that the government will change. But, but Jesus' Jesus's message and Jesus' mission was so much different than that. It wasn't political in agenda by any means. He wasn't there to overthrow anybody or overtake anybody or change anything that was going on. He, he was there for people. And so he, he begins this journey, and he begins to change traditions that, I mean, imagine this for a minute, okay? Imagine these Jews who were sitting there, and, and Jesus starts to just turn everything upside down. Traditions and laws and commands, things that had been given from God from you know, so many generations back. He begins to change it all. He begins to replace it. He begins to talk about, well, that's old, and this is new. And so he brings up all of these things, and it's just nobody can understand it. It's so confusing. 
people can repeat the words, but they don't know what it actually means. And so it comes to the end of Jesus' ministry, and Jesus finally starts to make everything a bit more you know, understandable. Makes it a little bit concrete. Makes it very, very practical for everybody to understand. So the night before Jesus is taken, he gathers everybody together. He gathers his disciples together. And you, we all know it today is the Last Supper, but it was their last meal before he was taken. And so he, he sits down with all of his disciples. And the first thing he says, he says, boys, I, I just wanted to let you know, I'm about to leave. And they go, well, where are you going, Jesus? We'll go too, you know? Because Jesus was like their security blanket. I mean, they were scared. They, they were lost without Jesus. And Jesus goes, well, here's the thing. Where I'm going, you can't go, which scared them to death. They, they were so anxious at that point. I don't even know if they heard anything that Jesus said after that point because they were so afraid and anxious of what was going to happen next. But the next thing that he says to them after he tells them that he's going to leave is this. He says, a new command I give you. A new command I give you. Now, here's what I want you to know. You, we all know about the Ten Commandments, right? We know about that, you know, that base that's taught a lot to us. But there was actually more than ten. There were 613 Jewish laws, 613 commands that they were supposed to follow. And so Jesus wasn't adding on to, when he says a new command, he wasn't given a 614th command. He was saying, I'm replacing the 613. These have become what Paul would say later, obsolete. These have become obsolete, and so now I'm giving you a new command that is much more simple, but far, far, far more demanding. And so just, just for a moment, just think of the weight of that, because we don't always take that into account. We don't always understand what he was doing. He was replacing hundreds and hundreds of years of tradition, what people had believed, what they had held on to, right? So he's replacing all of these commands with one simplistic but much more demanding command. And the command is this. He says to them, a new command I give you, love one another, love one another. Now, here's what I think what we miss so, so very often, is Jesus, Jesus was, was not commanding them to feel something. He was commanding them to do something. Does that, let that soak in for a minute, okay? Jesus wasn't commanding them to feel something. When he said, love one another, he wasn't saying, I want you to feel love for one another. Just always, no matter what one another does, feel love for one another. He was commanding them to do something. And that, to me, just gives me so much, so much freedom. It makes me feel so much better. Because you and I know that it is sometimes hard to love people, isn't it? Come on, if I don't get an amen off of that, then we're just lost today, okay, right? I mean, it's hard. It is hard to love some people. Some people make it very, very difficult to love. And, but the, Jesus says, that's okay. I don't want you to feel love for them. I just want you to love them. I don't want you to feel something. I, I want you to do something. I want you to be committed to doing something. And that's the thing we have to understand about being a Christian, about Christ's brand of love. Christ's brand of love it's, it isn't centered around how you feel. It's centered around what you're committed to. Okay? When we're committed to loving one another, when we're committed to the command to love, well, it makes it much more simple. It's, it's, it's much more simple. It's much more easy. It's very demanding, but it's not based around how we feel. It's not something that you need to feel. It's just something that you need to be committed to. And, you know, that's something that probably we, we, we should talk about more often. 
Because you know what? We, we, we talk a lot about our faith journey, right? We talk about our faith journey. But the thing is, is really what maybe we should talk about is, hey, how's your love journey going, right? Forget about your faith journey for a minute. How's your love journey going? Because that's, that's what it's about. But, you know, I mean, come on. How, how you love somebody, you never know. You know. I mean, we, we, if we went out in a room and said, you know, hey, you know, how do you love somebody? You know, I mean, my wife's, my wife's love language is to be left alone. That's my wife's love language, okay? I mean, if I wanted to give my wife a gift, I'd buy her a hotel room and a book, and I'd say, I'll see you in three days, honey, all right? And she'd be like, thank you so much, right? I mean, how we love each other, our love language, what love is, I mean, we all probably would have a different definition if we went around the room, right? Okay, so then if we're supposed to love one another, if that's the command, if that's what we're supposed to be committed to, well, how do we know what that looks like? And Jesus knew we would have that question, and so he cleared it up. And he said this, he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, that is how you must love one another. See, here's the thing, when it comes to the church's definition of how we should love one another, when it comes to the Christian definition of how we should love one another, there really is no wiggle room, Okay? There shouldn't be different answers depending on what church you go into. There shouldn't be different answers depending on what denomination you walk into. No, Christian love is very, very clearly defined by the man himself. And it was by Jesus, and he said, how I loved you is how you should love one another. See, because the old golden rule of do for, do, treat others the way that you would want to be treated, see, that's, that's too gray, that's too, that's too foggy, that, that can be you know, very, very different depending on the person that you get. But Jesus, he makes it very clear. He says, do for others what Jesus did for you. Now, see, we're on the other side of the cross, and so we know what that looks like, but they, they had no clue. I mean, the disciples, they sat there, and they were confused, and they're like, okay, so, hmm, I mean, I guess I kind of have a picture of what that would look like. But the very next day, Jesus would make it very, very clear what love looked like. Jesus' actions on the cross, his actions were, were the illustration of his instructions. What he did for every single one of us is how he wants us to love one another. And see, that's the thing. That's the beauty of what Jesus did. He didn't just give us a command. He, he gave us an example to follow. How we love. How we love. How we love is the litmus test, the standard, the measuring stick of eternal life with God. How we love one another is so very important because it is what Christianity is truly all about. How we love and loving not just the way we like to be loved or loving how we would define love, but loving the way that Jesus loved, that is the measuring stick. That is the litmus test. That is what we will be judged by when we meet God in heaven. And here's the thing, the, the, the New Testament writers, the people that came after Jesus' death and resurrection, I mean, they pretty much just spent their time not adding to this, but fleshing it out and, and helping others understand just how important loving one another in the way that Christ has loved us is. Paul, he would spend so many different letters writing. He wrote to Galatians, and he said this. He said, the only thing, the only thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It is the only thing. That's it. 
What's the most important thing? What's the most important thing? Faith expressing itself through love. To the Corinthians, he would write them, and he said, man, here's the thing. If I, go on to that next one. If I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, he says, I am nothing. If I have faith, if I have belief, if I have all the knowledge in the world, I mean, I have so much that it can move mountains, it is completely worthless without love because it's all about loving others the way that Christ loved us. You know, our church isn't really like this, but sometimes people ask me, you know, I mean, I grew up in church. My dad, he's a pastor. My sister, she's a pastor. Trust me, it's not a family business we all want to be in. Um, God just is cruel with some other people than others. Uh, But man, I mean, I've grown up in church. I've been around church culture. Um, And and, you know, people sometimes, they, they talk about wanting to go deeper. You know, the pastor Pastor, I want to I wanna go deeper. Can you recommend a good book to me? You know, that's what they want. Can you recommend a good book to me? Can, can you give me a good Bible study? You know, and sometimes people even ask us, like, what, you, you don't have any Bible studies? You know, we, we need a good Bible study. We need a good book to go through. And I understand that concept and that idea. But here's what I want you to kind of wrap your head around. Is we sometimes always think of going deeper with God in terms of more knowledge, right? I mean, that's what we're saying. I I need to study something. I need to know more. I want more knowledge. But yet, so much of my life experience, what I have seen people do is they like to have knowledge so that they can prove other people wrong. (laughs) They like to weaponize knowledge. They like to combat with people with knowledge. And here's the thing. We don't go deeper in our relationship with God through knowledge or even by faith or even by believing more. We go deeper with God in how much we love other people. Not even loving God. Some people are like, well, I'm going to go deeper with God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to squeeze God to death is what I'm going to do. Give me all the jobs at church. I'll tithe 20% if I have to. I'm going to go so deep with God. And all that is good and gravy. But sometimes I think God looks at us and going, you're going the wrong direction. You want to go deeper with me? Well, hey, man, you and me are good. I died for your sins. We're good. If you want to go deeper with me, you need to go deeper in your love for everybody else. You want to go deeper with me? Then why don't you just, why don't you love past your circle of friends? You want to go deeper with me? Why don't you sacrifice for more, the peop- more than just the people that deserve it? Why- you want to go deeper with me? Why don't you do for more than just the people who have your trust? Why don't- Let me see you go deeper by loving somebody who's hard to love or trusting somebody who's hard to trust or giving to somebody who doesn't deserve it. You want to go deeper with me? You don't go towards me. You go towards them because that is what my son, Jesus Christ, did. See, I think we ought to stop talking about our faith journey and worried about reading so many books and, you know, reading through the Bible in a year. And I think maybe what we ought to do is start to challenge ourselves in our love journey and how we're loving other people who don't love us or know our Savior. See, I think that's the direction we should go because really, if you wanted to talk about the definition of love or what the definition of Christian love looks like, well, what does it look like to love somebody? It's really easily summed up in just one word, and that word is death. And I know it's not a word that we like to talk about very often, but it's, it's the truth. 
Is that really, if you want to talk about love and you want to talk about Christian love, you want to talk about what it looks like to be a Christian, it looks like death. And the kind of death it is, it's about dying to yourself. That's what love looks like. The same way that, that, that Jesus gave up himself. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. It shouldn't have happened. But he gave himself up. He sacrificed himself for us who did deserve it, who did earn it. He gave himself up freely and he allowed himself to die. And he said, not what I want, Father, what you want. And that's what Christian love looks like. It looks like death. It looks like you giving up yourself for other people who haven't earned it, who don't deserve it. Paul talked about this in Galatians. He said this. He said, I- I've been crucified, meaning I, I am dead. I, I am dead with Christ, and I, I am no longer alive. I, I don't live anymore. You know what lives? It's Christ who lives in me. What I want, what I'm after, what I think I'm entitled to, what I think I deserve, doesn't matter. Because it's not about me anymore. I've put me to death. I have died with Christ when Christ died on that cross. I died with him, and now I live through, Christ lives through me. Christ is alive in me, and I am here. I am here to love, and I am here to serve, and I am here to give, and it is no longer about me. It is, it is purely about others. That is how we go deeper with Christ. It's what we in our denomination call entire sanctification. I'm dead to myself. I am done with me. It's not about me anymore. It's about other people. It's about giving my life away. It's about dying to myself. So that question, that question, that, that this last question that we all need to wrestle with is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? A way to put it that you may remember is this. When unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. Dr. Seuss. Yay! When unsure of what to say or what to do, ask yourself, what does love require of you? What does love require of me? Now, you see how I said there was no return on investment, right? Because when sometimes when you ask yourself that question, what does love require of me? You know what it requires of you. Death, loss, giving up, letting go, letting somebody else win, giving somebody else the advantage, right? That's what love requires of you. You know that because it's what Jesus did for you. And that's the beauty of this question. When you ask this question, what does love require of me? I mean, it just becomes so obvious. It cuts out all that room where, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, or, oh, man, there's not a verse for that, or, oh, my goodness, there's not a book that hasn't covered that. But when you ask yourself that question, you don't really need a 12-chapter book, do you? Because you know. You know. See, the problem is it's just you don't always like the answer, right? You'd rather have a book that explains it or says, well, it depends on the situation. No, 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 no. It don't depend on the situation. It didn't depend on the situation for Jesus. Jesus just died for you. He gave it up freely. And the crazy thing is, is he even saw it was coming. But he let himself go. He didn't want to. Don't think it was easy. He was in the garden. He was sweating blood. He was so anxious about it. And he even said to his father, hey, if there's any other way, I would love to live. But at the end of the day, not what I want. What love requires of me is what I'm willing to do for them. 
And so we as Christians, we have to ask ourselves that same question. What is it that love requires of me? Now, still, you may say to yourself, I don't know. I don't know what love is. You know, I mean, I can't die for everybody. I've only got one life to live, right? So I don't know. You know, what's the line? What does it really look like practically? But again, the beautiful part of this New Testament, the, the disciples and Paul, they flesh this out for us so, so, so clearly. And again, this is all things that you probably already know if you lived in the church or if you went to a wedding or anything else because we romanticize these things and we say these things like beautiful poetry. But the thing is, is we just don't give it the weight it deserves. Because even later on in Corinthians, Paul, he says this. He says, love is what? Patient. Love is kind. Love is humble. Love is content. We know that, right? We hear that at weddings all the time. But then stuff happens. And emotions are involved. And we talked about this, right? Anytime we're in an emotionally charged situation, it is so hard to stop and pause and ask ourselves good questions that lead to better decisions. But we know this. We know what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It's humble. It's content. But I love what he says next, man. I think this is probably the most important part. It does not dishonor others. I want that to really set in today. Because it seems to be a huge problem that we have. We have the hardest problem. You know what the biggest challenge is today that we're, I'm recognizing with our youth and with our kids? Is that they do not understand the concept of how to honor other people. And do you know why that is? It's because we as adults and in our culture, we don't live very honorably. We are okay lying to one another. We are okay cheating to one another. We are okay hiding things from one another. We are okay escaping things with one another. We are totally okay with that. And we do such a job of taking care of ourselves and dishonoring other people that our kids and our youth think it's completely normal. It is literally a game in some situations. Let's see how much fun we can have dishonoring one another. Where did that go? Where did it go? Where did the concept go of honoring one another? I think social media played a big part of it because we have no problem dishonoring one another on Facebook, do we? We have no problem dishonoring one another in a tweet or on the gram or on anything else or in a video. We have no problem running somebody's name through the mud for the world to see. We literally publish it on a daily basis. But if we could just understand this concept, if we could just understand this concept of honoring one another, man, how much more loving of a culture, of a society would we be? How much better off would the next generation be if they understood the concept of honoring one another? And he goes on. And again, you know this. He says, love, it's, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And here's the thing. All these things that I just kind of, you know, laid out, all the things that I just talked about, right? Somebody who's patient, somebody who's kind, somebody who's humble, somebody who's content, somebody who honors somebody else, somebody who's not self-seeking, somebody who's not easily angered, somebody who keeps no record of wrongs. I mean, that's what you hope for of others, right? Like, it, that's what you hoped for when you were looking for a spouse. That is, that is what you hope for out of your kids, isn't it? Isn't this, are these some of the words that you would like to describe your kids one day? 
Hey, I got one for you. Isn't that how you wish we could describe our president and our government leaders? Wouldn't that be nice? Our principals, our teachers, our police officers, business owners, mayors, parents, grandparents. Isn't this how we would love to describe them? To be able to stand up in front of people and go, they are patient, they are kind, they are humble, they are content, they are not easily angered, they're not self-seeking. Oh my goodness, they're such a great leader, they're such a great people, they're such great parents, they're such great kids. Isn't this how we would love to describe them? Well then, guess what? Here's the thing. If that's what you hope for of others, it should be required of you too. If that's what you want other people to look like, then it must be required of you too. Because here's the thing. It is hypocritical of you to expect from someone what you are unwilling to give them. So if you would like an honorable president, start showing honor to your president no matter who it is. Would you like honorable parents? Then start honoring your parent no matter what they have done in the past. Would you like honorable kids? Then start being patient, being kind, being humble, and being content with your kids. And your chances of seeing them become what you wish they could be will be far better. But you just looking at them and not being what you wish they were and pointing your finger and saying, you should be, you should be, you should be, you should be. But I'm not going to be. Well, that's just a hypocrite. And that's what's so wrong with the world. And that is how we end up devouring one another. And that is the first thing that the world looks at when Christians speak their mind about anything. How can you say we should all be this? How can you say we should all do this when you can't even do it yourself? When your pastor can't do it, when your leaders can't do it, when your congregation can't do it, when your own teachers who are teaching the kids in the back, they can't do it, then why should any of us do it at all? And you know what? They are right. Let me ask you something. What does love require of you? You already know the answer. The thing is, is you have to be willing to ask. You have to be willing to answer. And you have to be willing to act. But if we would all do this, and again, Christians, you have no choice. <laughs> I mean, if you're a Christian... This is, this is the litmus test. This is the measuring bar. This is, this is it. Loving one another in the way that not we want to be beloved, but loving one another in the way that Christ has loved us, which equals death, equals giving up, equals being patient and kind and keeping no record of wrongs and not being easily angered and being content and humbled and honoring one another, even when they don't deserve it. That is what is required of us. And if we can't do that, we will get nowhere. But not only that, we will answer for it one day. Because if we have faith and belief, but we do not have love, then really, honestly, what do we even have? Then we are just a cult, which is what some people call us. And they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Because sometimes... We don't even believe what we follow. 
And we don't do what we say we believe. But if we would ask, we would answer, and we would act. Not only would our lives be better, not only would we make better decisions and have fewer regrets, not only would we look more and more like Christ and who he hoped we would be when we were created, but also, too, the thing is, is that this world would change. We would set up our kids, this next generation, we would set them up for success. They would be so much better off. We would be able to leave a story that would be worth telling to somebody else. If we would pay attention to that tension, that tension that you're probably feeling right now, because I bet you some of you are ticked off at me right now, and I hope that you are. I hope that you are, because it should bother you. It should poke you a little bit. It should make you think, is he talking about me? And I promise you, I'm not talking about anybody, okay? But the thing is, is that should poke you. That should make you think, because none of us are perfect, including me, okay? None of us are perfect. We all have room to give. We all have something else to die to. We've all got to finish this process of being crucified and giving up ourselves for someone else besides the people that we love and we feel like loving. We have to practice it. And it's a daily, it's a daily process. I love what Paul says when he says, it's a daily, daily I die to myself. Daily I give up what I want. It's sometimes it's like a thorn in my side. I want to do good, and it's so hard to do it. So daily, daily, I pick up my cross and I follow Jesus. Which means daily, I have to die a little bit more and give up myself for someone else in order to be like Christ. But man, if you do, if you do that, I'm telling you what, your life at the end of the day, it will be a story worth telling. It will be a legacy worth having. It will be a life full of purpose. It will be a life full of joy. It will be one of the most rewarding experiences you will ever have. If you would like to leave a donation, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to speak with someone from Anchored Hope, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash hi. Thank you for listening and God bless.